Our scripture this morning is 1 John 4, 7 through 8. Behold, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Let's pray. Father, what a blessing to be together, to be able to come as your people uh, and to come humbly before you, dependent uh, upon your grace. God, we acknowledge our limitations. Uh, We acknowledge our sin. We acknowledge all the ways that, God, we do not deserve to know you or to be known by you. And yet, by your grace, God, we can come, we can gather, we can stand before your word. And we can submit to you. God, we plead that today we would know you better. We would love you more. God, we would follow you more closely. And God, we know that's only possible if the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead is at work in us and through us today. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Surely there is nothing more significant, more important, more valuable than knowing God. Of all the things that you could do today, of all the tasks before you, of all your goals and whatever aspirations you may have, surely nothing is more significant, more important, more valuable, more worthy of your effort than knowing the God of the universe. There is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as much as our, our minds may May, may struggle to comprehend God, surely there's nothing more worth our attention, more worth our focus, more worth our time than knowing God. I, I don't know what's on your to-do list today. Maybe you've got some laundry you need to catch up on. Maybe you've got some projects you want to do or some, some rest you're just hoping to prop your feet up. May, I don't know what the rest of your week looks like. Maybe you've got meetings to do or kids stuff to figure out. I, I, I don't know what, what the rest of your year looks like. And certainly knowing God is never a, a box we can, we can check off and move on. But of all that we're going to put before us to do, surely there's nothing worth our time, nothing more worth our time than knowing God better. I, I don't know what kind of goals you have for this week, for this month, for this year. Maybe you've got some, some health goals or some financial goals. Maybe, maybe eventually you want to buy a house. Maybe you're trying to sell a house. Maybe you're looking forward to getting your kids out of the house. I don't know what your goals are. 
Whatever goal you may have, surely there's not a more lofty and noble and worthwhile goal than knowing God for who He is. Could anything be more enjoyable? Could anything be more valuable, more worthwhile than knowing God Himself? If God truly is who He says He is, the Creator of all the universes, if He is the one who has given life to every breathing being in the world, Surely that God is worth knowing and worth pursuing and worth giving everything to know Him. Surely He is. There is no thrill ride or amusement park or adventure you could seek that is more enjoyable than knowing God. There is no activity you could pursue, no hobby you could uh, become an expert in that is more valuable and more life-giving than knowing God. There's nothing greater, nothing more important, nothing more enjoyable than knowing God. That is why we were created, to know Him and to enjoy Him. And for centuries now, the church, the global church all around uh, the world has, has, has studied His Word, studied God's Word from beginning to end, and has accurately described God as a trinity, three in one. There's just one God, and at the same time, this one God exists in three persons, a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit. He is a trinity, a triunity, a triune being. We worship one God in trinity and the trinity in unity. And as soon as I say that, all of our heads start spinning a little bit. Because <laughs> we say, huh? How, how is how is that possible? Is there one God or are there three gods? No, there's, there's one God. Well, is he one person or three persons? He's three persons. How do we even begin to wrap our minds around that? Many people will hear uh, that truth or, or kind of approach that and they say, hey, you know what? That's great that you know, some, some ivory tower theologian somewhere uh, has come up with this word, Trinity, to describe God, and that's good for them. But it's just too mysterious, too complex. I'm just going to stick with Jesus, you know. I can get my head around there was a man who died and resurrected. Well, if you can get your head around that and him being God and man at the same time, like we're really in the same ballpark. But I know what you're saying. It's complex. It's hard to get our heads around. But I, I want to I give you, I want to push you just a little bit on this. Because yes, God is complex, but he is not complex like calculus is complex. All right? Or maybe even just algebra. Like my mind was a little blown when you started putting numbers and letters together. Like it should be one or the other, right? No disrespect to all math teachers or calculus teachers. You're doing a great thing. You really are. There's a lot of things in the world. We, we just put a, a, a rover on Mars and I'm confident. I don't know why, but I'm sure that calculus was involved. <laughs> and somebody had to be good at that. And it's not me, you know. But, but when we think of something that's complex... Many times we think of complexities like calculus. It's, it's something that involves all these sophisticated parts. And, and if we try really hard, you know, maybe we can understand it. But really only, only a few people can. And to the rest of us, it doesn't really matter. Like I, I'm, I'm betting I can make it through the rest of my life without having to do calculus. Like I don't need it. Somebody does. NASA does. Some special architects that have like curves and stuff on their buildings. I'm sure they need calculus. I don't need calculus. But the Trinity is not compli complicated like calculus is complicated. 
The Trinity is complicated like the Grand Canyon is complicated. You see, when we look over the Grand Canyon, when we come up to the rim of the Grand Canyon, our, our eyes are just awed. We, we are in wonder at this sight, at how in the world this incredible canyon was carved out through all these layers of rocks. And geologists will describe all these different layers and all the different parts and, and how all this got to be. And you look for miles and miles and miles, and there, is, there are canyons as far as you can see. And you could spend months and months, probably years, and you would never get to the end of every inch and every corner that the Grand Canyon has. Your, your eyes look down and you see this beautiful Colorado River. And you picture riding a boat alongside it, and, and that river is constantly moving, constantly changing. There is so much complexity to the Grand Canyon. But it's not a, grand, it's not, it's not a, a complexity that makes you go, huh? It's a complexity that makes you go, wow, wow, this is stunning. This is beautiful. And yes, there are simpler things. There is a, uh, uh, an old rock quarry on, on Watson Road in Ennery, South Carolina that I could take you to. It would be great. You know, we could go there. And if it had rained recently, there would even be some water in the bottom of it. And I could take you there and, and, you could, and I could say, hey, they, there were some people who came and they got some granite from here and they went and used it somewhere. And now there's some water when it rains in the bottom of this. And you would go, yeah, that's, that's true. That's interesting. It's simple. It's a hole in the ground. But you don't go, wow, right? Surely it's, it's, it's awesome. It's a wonderful thing that there is an even more complex hole in the ground somewhere in the world that makes us go, wow. Sometimes we, we look at things that are complex and we say, I, I don't want anything to do with it. It's going to make my head hurt. It might make your head hurt. It might be a stretch. It might, it might pull us. Just like getting from here to, to the Grand Canyon would, would take some work. you got to get an airplane or you got to drive for a few days. You may even have to, to hike or whatever else to get to a certain spot. But I'm telling you, it's worth it. I'm telling you, it's worth it. Whatever else the Trinity may be, it's meant for us to go, wow, this is who God is. And there's nothing more significant, more valuable, more worth our effort and our endeavors than knowing God for who He is. When you stand at the edge of this, this doctrine and you look out over the, the vast layers of truth and the vast glories that God puts before us, you, you, you could explore it for months, for years. In fact, we will be exploring it for the rest of eternity. And we'll never get to the end of it. We'll never reach the bottom of God and say, figured it out. But it's a, it's a sight worth beholding. It is something so spectacular and so wonderful. He is something so spectacular and so wonderful that it's worth it. It's worth it. He's worth exploring. Today and over the next few weeks, I, 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 I want to take you... I don't want to take you to the rock quarry and innery of theology. I want to take you to the Grand Canyon. I want to take you to the Grand Canyon. I want us to, to stand before God as He truly is and just say, wow, wow. Now, I am, I am certainly not the best tour guide, so to speak, when it comes to taking you to the Trinity. I, I, I know there are, there are many people who know and understand God better I'm not a great tour guide, but I'm an explorer. And I have stood at that rim, not the Grand Canyon. I mean, I have a long time ago, the Grand Canyon. But I've stood 
at the rim overlooking the Trinity. And, I, and I've, just, I've just gotten a glimpse of it. And, and I'm just a guy who's just like jumping up and down and waving and saying, hey guys, you got to come see this. you got to come see this. you got to come see this. Because God, He's worth it. He's just so beautiful. My, my jaw has dropped many a time just beholding God. And I, and I want that for you. I, I want all of us to know God better. I want to know God better. I've been kind of delaying this topic for a while, and I just can't take it anymore. I just, I just can't take it anymore. And so my hope is that we can come to the rim and we can say, yeah, this is awesome. It may, it may push us. We may have to think a little bit. So if you don't already, you can step out and grab your next extra cup of coffee. Next week, come a little extra caffeinated. You know, I, I had to learn some of my math and history in high school standing in the back of the room so I didn't fall asleep, you know. If you need to stand back there, that's great. That doesn't bother me. It's worth it, though, for us to consider just how awesome God is. Genesis 1 starts, in the beginning, God, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was out without form and void, and the darkness covered over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, He spoke, let there be light. John 1 starts, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him not, was not anything made that has been made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In the beginning, God, God the Father, created the world and He did it through His Word by speaking into being. He created through the Son who is the Word and He did that all by the power of His Spirit who is hovering over the waters from the beginning. That is beautiful and breathtaking and mysterious. If you, if you grew up in church uh, or just drive past churches around here, you've probably come across the word Trinity before, right? And maybe if you have one step before, one step beyond just knowing the word Trinity, maybe the very next step you know is, okay, there's, there's, there's three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And probably the next thing you would know is some illustration that you learned in Sunday school or some kind of, you know, idea of trying to understand what the Trinity is like. And, and many of those illustrations have the best of intentions, especially because we're trying to take something complex and we're trying to teach it to our kids. But all of them fall apart. All of them fall apart. This is God we're talking about. This is the one God of the universe. And to take anything and try to compare it to God is going to fall tremendously short of who God is. And if, apart from just the, there's, we'll, we'll see, there's a lot of errors with it, but foundationally, God is meant to be worshipped. We're, we're, our hearts are supposed to be drawn to be in awe and in, inspired by Him. And yet our, our illustrations many times can seem so trite, so small. The most famous, and, and I, I probably did this when I was younger, but the most famous is comparing God to water. And we say, hey, just, just like H2O, water, can be ice, or it can be liquid water, or it can be steam, one thing in three parts, God is one thing in three parts. Well, first of all, again, you wouldn't worship water. 
Like you're not stirred to, to awe and majesty by that illustration. You know? Secondly, that, that is taking one essence and, and saying it just appears in three different ways according to the temperature in the room. But, but steam can't have a relationship with ice. They can't, they can't coexist. They can't, they can't love one another. They can only be one at a time. It's, they are in different modes, each at a different time. So that is not like the Trinity because God is fully God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit at all times and in relationship with one another. Some other people will compare uh, God to a man, one person who is three things. He's a businessman, he's a husband, and he's a dad. But again, because it's just one, he can't be in relationship. The businessman can't be in relationship with the husband because it's the same guy. So that doesn't work. You, you can't describe God that way. Other people will describe God like a uh, three-leaf clover. You got one clover, and it's got three parts on it. But the problem is, so you got three that make up one. But the problem is, you take out one of those clovers, it's no longer a three-leaf clover, is it? It's just one. And so it's, it's part of God. But God the Son is fully God. He's not one-third God, like part of a clover is one-third clover. You see how these are just, they just fall apart. One more, an apple or an egg, same, same idea. Uh, you know, they'll say, hey, there's a peel or a, or a shell to an apple, I mean to an egg. And then there's the flesh or the white part of the flesh of the apple, the white part of an egg, the yolk or the seeds of an apple. And say, so, hey, it's, it's one thing, but it's made of three parts. But again, the peel is not an apple, whereas God, the Son, is fully God. All those things have a place, I guess, but they end up being more distracting and more unhelpful than they are helpful. This is God we're talking about. He's worthy of our, of our worship. He's worthy of our praise. And, and all those things end up leaving us with just this trivial, silly picture of God. And if we want to present God to our children and to the rest of the world, we don't want to start with something trite. We want to say, this is, this is who God is. He is incomparable. There is nothing like Him. It is okay that there is no perfect illustration for God. If there was, that thing would be God, not God. So it's okay that there's no perfect illustration. Surely there's, there's another way that we can get to who God is. We, we can climb to, to some rim, some, some canyon that, that, is, that is more than just you know, playing a science experiment with water. Surely we can, we can go to, to some kind of place and peer over it and see God more fully for who He is. I think a, a good rim for us to hike to first is the, to the beginning of time. To the very beginning of time. Go with me to the absolute beginning of creation to day one when God created the world. And then I want you to peer over to the rim, over the rim of that day to what was right before that. What was right before day one of creation? Well, the Bible tells us that God Himself is eternal. Psalm 91 and 2 says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Moses asked God his name in Exodus 3, and God said, I am. I am. So there's only one being who is eternal, who was there before day one of creation. And it is God. If we can come up to that rim and, and look behind day one, before the world began, what we would see is God. Just God. There's nothing else in creation, nothing else around. So that's why we couldn't be there, you know. But just go with me. 
If you could see it, you would just see God. Now, if I could be bold enough to ask, what's he doing? What, what was he doing before creation? Before it all started, what, what was he doing? I, I can't exactly picture it, but I mean, wouldn't he be bored? It's just him, right? How, how would, why would God, what would he be doing? It's just God. There's no stars to keep in orbit and no planets to keep revolving around the sun. There's, there's no work for him to do. There's no creature, creatures like us for him to come and save. There's just God. That sounds boring, doesn't it? I mean, what, what is he going to be doing back there? And, and if he's perfect and fine, then why did he create us? I mean, what if he was good and right? I mean, what's the point of doing anything else if he's just fine, you know? Well, maybe he wanted servants to serve him. He, he's got a lot of power, and he says, hey, wouldn't this be fun? The way all good projects start. I got an idea. I'm going to make some servants that will serve me. That seems like a good way. So he wants to, maybe he does this, you know, has this big plan and will do all, all the things he wants. Well, that sounds really pitiful and not fun. I mean, why, why would he do that? It sounds very needy. sounds very needy. Even if he was kind to his creation and he was generous and gracious with his people, it's still hard to imagine just a, a one-person God creating people for any other reason than just to make himself feel better. Well, why, why would he create us? What was God doing before the world was created? Or another way of getting at the same question is, who is God at his core? At the most foundational place about who God is, who, who is he? What's the point? We, we could say God is creator, right? He's, he's unchanging, so he's always, we, we know he's created the world, so he's got to be a creator. But he didn't display that creation until day one. And we're asking, what's before that? What's before day one? Well, he hadn't created anything yet, so kind of hard to describe him as creator. I mean, he certainly had that capacity. Well, maybe we just describe him as just powerful. He's all-powerful. He's omnipotent. That's true. And he was that before creation, right? He had all the power. And yet, before he created anything, he hadn't used that power. He hadn't displayed that power yet. He just was. So, what was he doing? Is he just sitting? There's nothing to sit on. Like, what, what is he doing before the creation of the world? Thankfully, this isn't up to just my own philosophizing or asking questions that make your head hurt. The Bible actually talks about this. He actually answers this question. Jesus prays in John 17. I think Miss Wanda's been doing this, this chapter in uh, the 930 Bible study hour. John 17, 24. Jesus prays this. Listen to this prayer. Father, I desire that they also, so talking about us as his disciples, that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Because you loved me before the foundation of the world. That, that one phrase, and this is all through the Bible, we'll see this over and over, but that one phrase is like, is like taking this step when you're climbing up to the Grand Canyon and you finally get a peek of all the vast glory in front of you. What was God doing before the creation of the world? God the Father was in perfect, harmonious, loving relationship with God the Son by and in the Holy Spirit. God the Father is eternal and has eternally 
loved God the Son through and in the Holy Spirit. So that means before anything became into existence, before the world began, before day one, before Genesis 1-1, John 17, 24 tells us God the Father and God the Son had a perfect, loving relationship. He had everything He needed. He didn't need anything. He was not a needy God that was going to create the world so that He would have some servants to do what He wants them to do. He wasn't a needy God that was going to create a world so that He has a way to show His love finally and, and to do whatever. No, God had everything. A perfect community of love within Himself. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 describes the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. There's one author, Michael Reeves, wrote, Before the foundation of the world, the Spirit was stirring up delight and joy of the Father in the Son and the delight of the Son in the Father. That's what was happening before the world began. God had a perfect community, a perfect fellowship, a perfect joy, a perfect relationship within Himself. And that, that changes everything. It changes everything. He is three in one, one essence, three persons perfectly united in a perfect community, bound up in the greatest love imaginable. So yes, God has always had the capacity to create. Yes, God has always been all-powerful. But before He showed any of that, He was enjoying and displaying love. That means at the very core of our universe, the very foundation of all that exists, is love. Love. Not power, not wealth, not status, not, not us trying to achieve and be good enough. The very foundation of the entire fabric of all the universe is love. It's love. We said at the beginning, there is no greater task, no greater goal than knowing God. It's worth seeking who He is at His very core. So I want you to know this. At His core, God is a trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Maybe that seems obvious to you. Maybe it seems mysterious to you. But I think you'll agree this is, this is worth, worth pursuing. God is Trinity. And I've been saying that for long enough. You're probably wondering, okay, yeah, but is that in the Bible? Like, okay, you, you've said this a lot, but can we see it in the Bible? We'll see this as we go, but um, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. But hold on, it's okay. There's a lot of words that aren't in the Bible, but are still true. So the word Trinity is in the Bible, but the truth, the idea of it, the reality of the Trinity is all the way through the Bible. Let me give you just a few. There's, there's a couple foundational things here. There's just one God, right? Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. All right? But God is three persons in one. When we celebrate a baptism. We celebrate a baptism in the name. This is out of Matthew 28.19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name. So one name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three in one. And each person of the Trinity is fully divine and fully God. God the Father is God. We saw in Titus 1.4, grace and peace from God the Father. Jesus is fully God. Colossians 2 uh, says, according to Christ, for in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. He's fully God. And the Holy Spirit, Hebrews 9.14, is how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself. Only God's eternal. So if the Spirit's eternal, He is God. At His core, God is three in one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that matters a great deal for understanding and knowing God for who He is. For all of eternity, God has been in a perfect, loving relationship within Himself. 
that the Father eternally loves the Son, and the Son eternally loves the Father by the Spirit. And so that's why we could read what Philip read for us as we started in 1 John 4, 8. God is love. God is love. Before the foundation of the world, God the Father loved God the Son. If anything else was going on before creation, we'd have to say something else. God is power. God is authority. But, but here at the core of who He is, God is love. Because God is three persons, He could have that love before any of us were in existence. If, if He wasn't, if He was just one person, He would need something else to love and He would be dependent upon us in order to be loving. But He's not. He's fully loving in and of Himself. Love is the bedrock. Love is the core. And if God was only one person, He would need something else to show that. So then if He didn't need us, why did He create us? What's the point then? If God had everything He needed, why even do we exist? And this is where it gets really good for you and for me. Because God is Trinity, He he overflows with love for us. It's really good news that God doesn't need us. He wants us. He chose to create us. He didn't create us because He needed something to build Himself up. He created us because He wanted to share this love with us. He is deep to His core a generous, life-giving God. To be a father means you have given life. And God, being the Father, wants to share and give that life to sons and to daughters. In Jeremiah 2.13, God describes Himself as the fountain of living waters. You know what makes a fountain a fountain? is It's flowing with water. It's flowing with water. Otherwise, it's a dead fountain or a dry fountain. But God describes Himself as a fountain. He is life-giving. He chose to bring this world into existence on His own will because He wanted to share what He had with us. The Father and the Son and the Spirit wanted to share that love with us. Jesus continued that same prayer in John 17, saying this in verse 26, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, the love with which you have loved me, uh, that it may be in them and I in them. So he's saying, he's praying for you and for me. And he says, God, this is God the Father, Jesus speaking to the Father, says, this is what I want for my, my disciples, my followers. I want them to have the same love that you and I share, Father. I want to have the same love. I want them to have the same love that we have. That's, that's beautiful. All, all illustrations of this, of course, fall tremendously short. But I, I just picture a, a joyous, happy, royal family in a castle. There's a king, there's a queen, there's prince, princes and princesses, and they sit down for dinner at an incredible dining table, an incredible and immaculate dining hall, and this incredible castle, and they have everything they need. And they enjoy being together. They're, they're celebrating to be just being together. They don't need anybody else there. They love being a family together. And it is overflowing with beautiful food and all these wonderful things. They don't need anything else. But out of their generosity and out of their love, they send a message to you. And they say, hey, we want, we want you to come and to eat with us. Not because there was an empty seat that needed to be filled, but just because we wanted to share what we had with you. They, they make the arrangements for the, the clothes and transportation, whatever else that would keep you from coming. And so you come and you sit at the table with the king and the queen and his family. 
And you dine with them in splendor, not because you earned it, not because they needed anything, but because they had and they wanted to share. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, out of the overflow, out of their abundance of love, they shared it with us. Because God is a trinity, He overflows with love for us. That's what He did in creation, and that's what He did in the incarnation when Christ came. 1 John 4, 9 says, In this the love of God was made manifest. We saw His love when God sent His Son into the world so that we might live through Him. The way that God brought us life and love was supremely in His Son. He, he showed that love by coming to be with us. So many things in our world are limited, right? You, the, 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 you have a, a limited amount of food in your pantry and in your fridge, a limited amount of space in your fridge. you got limited uh, money in our bank account. we got limited hours in today. But here's what's infinite. God's love. And He shared it graciously, mercifully with us. If God was not a trinity, if God was just a one-person God, then He would be he wouldn't, he wouldn't have had a, an infinite supply of that love from before the foundation of the world. But because God is three persons in one and He has always loved within, always had love within Himself, He can give and give and give. You're never going to get to the bottom of God's love. You're never going to run out of God's love. You can't out God's love. He has an eternity past and an eternity future of love because that's who He is at His very core. He overflows with it. That's the kind of love that he has. And if we begin to understand that about God, then it changes what it means to know God and to follow his son, Jesus. Because God is Trinity, he overflows with love for us. And because God is Trinity, we love others. We love others. If that's who God is at his very core, he is a God of love, then if we're going to follow him, it only makes sense that we too love one another. It's impossible to know God and not be loving. God is love. Love is from God. If we've been born of God and we know God, then He's love. And we want to share that love with others. The very core of our, of our, of our faith is a relationship. Have you thought about that? Yeah. The very core of our faith is that we know God. We have a relationship. We know Him personally. Because God is the, is the master of what a relationship is. He's had one for all of eternity. Like we take marriage advice from people who have been married 10 years more than us or 20 years more than us. God has had a relationship for eternity. <laughs> he is the expert on love. And He's invited us into that. And He's invited us to show it. At the core of our faith is a relationship with Him. And so then that transforms what, the, what it means to live out our faith as a Christian. If at the core it's a relationship with God, then it's about our relationships with one another. Love God, love people. It impacts how you treat your wife today. It impacts how you treat your kids today. It impacts how you treat your coworkers or your boss tomorrow. If, the, if at the very nature of what it means to be a Christian is that God has brought you into His family, He has loved you and invited you to that relationship, then that means we're called to show that same love to one another. God is a trinity, and because of that, we love others. You know, a few weeks back, we, did, we, we baptized nine people here. And as I, I thought about them, and they're all different places in their walk with the Lord. Some are younger and just coming into the faith. Some have been walking with the Lord for a while, but, but have begun uh, a new season of their life. And for the first time, are expressing 
their faith through baptism by immersion after putting their faith in Christ. And, and as I thought about them, that the kind of the final straw for this series is, hey, if I could share one thing with these nine people, no, no matter where you are in, in your walk with the Lord, it's, it's that at the very core of who God is, He's love. He's love. Because God is a trinity. And I thought about some of you that have been walking with the Lord for decades. Longer than I've been alive, some of you have been walking with the Lord. And I thought, hey, if there's one thing that, that you need to grow in, that we all need to grow in, it's better knowing God because God is love, because God is a trinity. And I thought of you, and I thought, if there's one doctrine that's hard for us to grasp but worth pursuing, it's, it's this one. There's one more person who really needed to hear this, and that really motivated me to, to preach on the Trinity. That's me. I, I, needed, I needed to dive into this. I need to see God more dearly. I needed to dive in and dive in and dive in, and, and I'm not ready. I, I'm not ready. I, I, don't get, I don't have my head around this. I can't, I can't give this to you like I want to give it to you. But we're going to try. We're going to try. Because if we know the Trinity, if we understand God even just a little bit, if we just get our nose over that, that rim, I could peer out over the vast beauty of who He is. I, I'm just convinced knowing God is, is the central point of everything. So if we can know Him for who He is, it's going to change everything. Because if we know the Trinity, then we're going to know the Gospel. The very same chapter, 1 John 4, he says, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. We love because He first loved us. That's what it means to be a Christian. And that's what I invite you to see. That God is a trinity. Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And because of that, He's love. Let's pray. Lord, we are amazed at who You are, and yet also confused, and struggling, and wrestling, and trying to comprehend what it means for You to be love. Lord, we understand enough to know that knowing you is more valuable than anything else in this world. And so, God, we will strain, we will strive, we will toil, begging for you to make yourself known. Because we know that deep in our core, that's the only way it's going to happen, is if you, by the power of your Spirit, make yourself known to us. God, show up and continue, God, to point us to your grace and to your kindness so that we may understand you better and follow you more closely. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.